With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Post Reports is brought to you by Purina. You dream of finding your ideal pet and giving them a good life. Purina wants that for you, too. Their pet finder platform matches animals with the right owners, and their pet foods offer excellent nutrition. Learn more at Purina.com slash cares. From the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi there, is the mayor in? Marissa Lang with The Washington Post. Hey, it's Darcy. I wanted to pick your brain on the truck. Hi, my name's Jenna Johnson. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, June 30th. Today, how the problem of childcare is destabilizing the economy and why women are hurting the most. Plus, what it's like to join AA over Zoom. My name is Erin Palmer. I'm 37 years old. I am an emergency room nurse at a level one trauma center, and I have one seven-year-old daughter. It's been really hard to find consistent child care and to afford it, and I have not until recently let my daughter go back over to my parents' house. But now with new surges in the cases, that's all going to go back to to square one for me, unfortunately. Nearly a third of the workforce has children under 18 at home. So this is an issue that's impacting so many families right now. And we really need to be talking a lot more about it. I'm Heather Long, the economics correspondent at The Washington Post. I think everyone was hoping and praying that schools would be reopened in the fall and this virtual learning would be over, Uh, but it's pretty clear that's not going to happen in most parts of the country. So how is the issue of childcare affecting the economy right now? People just can't be as productive when they're at home, particularly if they have young kids, you know, under six or under eight. And if you don't have kids yourself, you probably have colleagues that do, and you've seen some of the sometimes funny stories of kids running through the back of a Zoom call, you know, naked or semi-naked or yelling things like, I have to poop. There's also really serious implications. And some of the people I've talked with, they have had to quit their job because you know, some jobs can't be done from home. Like, like quit their jobs entirely and, and permanently. That's right depending upon how how your kids are, you know, they need attention. They need someone to watch over them and help them with making a snack or going to the restroom sometimes. For me, leaving my job wasn't an option. I'm fortunate enough to keep my job and to where we were still seeing patients and I didn't have to be redeployed or furloughed. My brother is also in healthcare and he agreed to cut down his own work hours to help me out. An interesting survey just came out that was shared with the Washington Post. The details haven't been made public, but a survey of working parents, over 2,500 of them in the U.S., found that 13% of U.S. parents had to quit their job or reduce their working hours. And the ones that had to reduce hours, they generally lost about a day of work a week, eight hours of work, you know, realistically from having when they were trying to work from home and care for a child. Hmm. And, you know, hearing numbers like that feels both 
surprising and also unsurprising because I think what the pandemic has shown us is that childcare is hard and it is work and you cannot ultimately like do two jobs at once. And I feel like we're getting to this point where, yes, there was sort of this grace period for a couple months where it was like, yeah, you can be watching your kids and trying to Zoom call and work in the middle of the night and like try to make all these things fit together. But ultimately, childcare is a full-time job. And if you have to do that, then it makes it impossible to do other work. That's right. And we've always known that this was the case. But what's different this time is it's facing almost everyone across the country. Almost every company is is dealing with this right now. It used to be that people were worried about things like childcare deserts, so communities where there weren't enough childcare centers or there weren't enough after-school programs. But now everything's shut down. The other thing I learned as I called around, many people's favorite and go-to backup when they have a child care issue is grandparents. Hmm. And the unique nature of COVID-19 is you can't call the grandparents because that's a health risk generally to have someone who's over 60 watching kids. Beforehand, I would have my parents watch my daughter while I worked nights because I work mostly nights, but with the virus and my exposure to positive COVID patients, I didn't want to run the risk of sending my daughter over there. That go-to option is gone. And are there any other childcare options right now? I mean, are some daycares open? Are there some places that parents who work essential jobs can basically put their kids for uh, at least short periods of time while they try to go to work? There are. I spoke with many people may be familiar with Kinder Care, which is one of the largest daycare centers in the United States. They have uh, 1,500 facilities across the U.S. A number of those were open. A couple hundred were open the whole time to service essential workers. And as of this week, all of their facilities are back open. However, there's one big asterisk. Typically, a kinder care classroom used to have 20 to 24 kids. Now, in most states, they can only have 10 Hmm. in order to be opening safely and be complying with the guidelines in that state or community. And so you just do the math. You know, that's half those parents are suddenly don't have an option and don't know what to do. And what's really terrifying is you can't survive as a business with half your revenue gone and increased costs for safety. Mm-hmm. And so both Kinder Care and many, many other child care centers across the U.S. have been telling Congress, look, there is a strong possibility that up to half of child care and daycare facilities won't survive this pandemic because they can't make it financially. Well, I think that speaks to the fact that this isn't just an issue that is affecting individual families. Like, this is starting to have a real impact on the state of the economy and our ability to get through these challenging economic times and to try to recover in coming months. We were trying to put numbers on all this, which is very hard to do, but it was actually a study out of Europe. Some German researchers found that nearly 10% of economic activity won't happen, will be wiped out if childcare centers and schools remain closed. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it's huge. And people who I talk to say it's probably pretty similar in the U.S. and could even be larger if you think about what does it mean when schools are closed? We have a whole generation of students who are not learning, not getting those critical years of education in some cases. On top of that, 
the part nobody likes to talk to but is so real here is the burden of childcare usually falls more on women, particularly low-income women who can't just go out and hire an au pair or a nanny to come in for a few weeks and help them out through this crisis. And so the big concern is women are much more likely to quit their jobs. We've already seen that during the pandemic. And it means we have a less diverse workforce. And it also means that individual woman or dad in some cases, they could have lower pay and lower career prospects for years to come. Is there anything that the government can be doing to step in and try to help parents who are struggling to figure out how they're going to be able to keep working and providing childcare? There's so much. <laughs> One thing is obviously to try to get better guidelines in place to open schools and daycares as safely as possible. There's still just a ton of confusion around that. I think the other thing, though, we have to be realistic. And we know now, we all thought back in March when Congress passed those first emergency bills that a lot of this was going to be temporary. We know in the case of schools and childcare, it is not going to be temporary. These problems are still going to be around in September and October and November and December. And so realistically, a lot of economists and even business leaders are calling on Congress to do a $50 billion stimulus to ensure that we don't have a mass closure of daycare centers across the United States, which would hurt us for years to come. And they're also asking for some more aid to help parents. And remember, not just low-income parents, but now think about we have you know, 30 million people in this country currently on unemployment. If they, we want to get these people back to work, if they have kids, they're going to need those kids to be able to go and have some sort of you know, childcare. And if they can't afford that, it's a double whammy. How can you go look for work without some sort of aid for your child? So there's a real push to try to expand help for parents to pay for what care is available right now. And what is your sense of how businesses have been responding to the fact that their employees are having to basically pull double duty and be working while they're also doing full-time parenting? It's all over the map. I think, generally speaking, most companies were pretty understanding in March, April, and May. I mean, we were all trying to figure this out. It was all new. It was all chaotic. People understood that there were health risks, that there were risks to children. And so it seemed like a lot of companies were really trying to do the right thing. Even companies that have like retail workers like AutoZone were trying to give extra stipends to help people figure childcare out or allowing people to take a day off if they needed to for childcare issues. But that seems like it's starting to change. There was a lot of talk over the weekend about Florida State University putting out this announcement that said, as of August 7th, employees can no longer care for children while they're working remotely. So yeah, a big shock, a lot of discussion on social media about is this fair, is this right? But the reality is, I think a lot of companies and organizations come the fall are going to expect parents to have figured this out, at least to a certain extent. And the reality is there aren't going to be enough school spots and childcare spots come September to make that happen. Heather Long is an economics correspondent for The Post. So the last time Americans faced an economic crisis, 
We all called it a man session, in large part because the majority of the people losing their jobs were men. Uh, 70% of the people who lost their jobs in the Great Recession were men, many of those in industries such as construction and manufacturing. But this time, the job losses are dwarfing what the country experienced in the last crisis, and the heaviest toll is actually falling on women. I'm Samantha Schmidt, and I write about gender and family issues for The Post. Why is it that women's jobs have been more vulnerable during this economic downturn? You know, many of the industries that have been hardest hit by the job losses resulting from the pandemic are in industries that include a lot of women, industries such as leisure and hospitality or healthcare and education. And women are not only overrepresented in some of those industries, but they've now lost jobs in those sectors at disproportionate rates. I'm also curious about how that breakdown affects women of different races and different backgrounds. Are we seeing a disparity between the job loss for white women compared to women of color? Yes, I I know the researchers at the National Women's Law Center have done a lot of work looking at kind of the breakdown of, you know, women in the workforce and women, especially women of color, tend to be overrepresented in some of the lowest paid jobs. But we already are seeing that because so many of these women, particularly women of color, are in some of the lowest paid jobs in the workforce, they're the first to to lose their jobs. Because if you're, you know, at the bottom of the totem pole, you are the most likely to be laid off at times like this. Black and Hispanic women were hit the hardest at 16.4 and 20.2% unemployment, respectively. So tell me about some of the people that you talked to for this story. I decided to focus on a mom I met from Long Island. My name is Elaine Deborah, and I'm 36. Who was just really memorable to me because she's in one of the industries that has been hardest hit by the pandemic, which is hospitality. I'm a waitress at the Dominic Hotel, and I also work at the Parker New York. It's another hotel. And she has been able to build a life for herself. She bought a condo of her own in a quiet neighborhood in Long Island. She was able to get a room and a yard for her son. And she's a single mom, but, you know, working long shifts and multiple jobs at a time, she was able to save up a lot of money. But now she's out of both of her jobs. Once you're not working a week or two, it's kind of hard (laughs) to keep up with, you know, to keep up with our lifestyle. It was it takes a lot to run this house. <laughs> she's been relying on unemployment assistance. She's fallen behind in her mortgage and she's cut her car insurance and she's basically dug into the all the savings she had. And she's she's worried about, you know, what her childcare situation is gonna be because if schools aren't open, if childcare centers aren't open, she doesn't know what she would be able to do with her son. And, you know, she can't afford to pay a babysitter right now. She's She's really feeling like she's falling behind. She doesn't really know what, what's going to come next for her. And then now that states are starting to reopen, does that pose particular challenges for women who are going back to their jobs? Definitely. I think that's what's so striking about the moment we're in and the pressures on women right now. Because even if even if women are able to return to work, even if hotels reopen and restaurants reopen, women have to figure out childcare and a lot of daycare centers might not be reopened or maybe they are reopened, but uh, you know, mothers are worried about the risks it'll pose to put their children uh, back in daycare or to go to work or many of them have to kind of 
weigh the risks with their partner. And, you know, women tend to be in jobs that are uh, lower paid than their spouses. And a lot of times like these, those might be the the people who end up having to stay home. That if you're, you know, if you're the breadwinner, you might be more likely to choose to return to work than if you're not. And, you know, so many women are already barely making enough money to cover childcare costs. And so when you're kind of doing that math and and making those calculations, a lot of moms might decide that it's not worth it to go back to work. So it feels like a lot of what people are talking about right now is wanting to go back to normal or to get the economy booming again. But I wonder if the ways that this downturn is specifically affecting women, if that is going to have longer term implications for women and the progress that women have made economically since the last recession. What's so crazy to me is that at the start of this year, for only the second time, women reached a major milestone. They outnumbered men in the U.S. paid workforce for only the second time in history. And this was in part because of surges in healthcare and education. And so we saw women making these major inroads in the workforce. And we started to see that gender gap, at least in the, in the paid workforce, really start to narrow. But you know, what will this mean for women longer term? Experts I talk to, economists I talk to worry that this is going to have a negative impact on the wage gap between men and women because it might make it harder for women to go back to work. This might end up depressing their wages, especially if they're taking on a heavier burden of the childcare at home and you're needing to maybe cut back on your work or in your hours, that it's going to only create bigger disparities between what women and what men make. And, you know, there's just more pressures on women but it's hard to know what kinds of women are going to have to make that choice to stay home or to go into a different job that's perhaps really dangerous. Sam Schmidt covers gender and family issues for The Post. And now one more thing from reporter Sarah Pulliam Billy about what it's like to seek help during a pandemic. It's a difficult time for people struggling with or recovering from alcoholism. We're more isolated than ever before. We're under a lot of stress. We're seeing a boom in home delivery sales of alcohol. And traditional paths to sobriety aren't as clear as they might have been before. When you could see an AA flyer in a church or walk into a meeting, now those meetings are held over Zoom and they're password protected. And that's created a barrier of entry for a lot of new members. The issue is with this is that they, they go through the meeting and they'll get phone numbers of people and they'll get opportunities to talk to people, but then they're left alone at home. So, so that, that I think is a, is a challenge. So I spoke with an existing member, his name is Lewis R., and he said that he was worried that other new members wouldn't have the same experience of getting that physical eye contact that you get when you go to an actual meeting. And so he was worried that, you know, people can join a Zoom meeting, any Zoom meeting, whenever they want, but will they have that connection that you might get in person? When you come in, you're so damaged because of the disease of alcoholism and, and your life is so bad. I mean, it's just, it's horrible, you know, when you hit a bottom. Coming into something like that and being physically accepted really serves to underscore the kind of love and acceptance that the AA gives. 
So in that regard, I think there's quite a bit missing in the current experience. Existing members say that they have felt supported in ways that maybe people who don't have the AA network um, have during the pandemic. So they can attend a Zoom meeting whenever they want at 3 a.m. in the morning. They can join a meeting in Australia if they want to. And so they have this ability to tap into this network pretty much around the clock. So when they're feeling isolated, when they're feeling, you know, like they need help, they have this huge network that they can tap into. For people that have time and have been doing this for a while, there is great fellowship online. In my case, uh, right when the pandemic hit, I learned I was unemployed. And in this economic climate and the whole thing, it was a it was pretty stressful time, and I really leaned into the meetings. And they say they hope newcomers who might have a harder time beginning recovery now still try to reach out. There's infinite patience for whoever and however you deal with this. It's a safe space and a welcoming space in that our, you know, all of us collectively, our moral responsibility is to meet the newcomer where they're at and to provide hope and a connection to them so that they can learn how to be comfortable in their own skin and that their life is worthwhile. And um, newcomers can avail themselves to that. You can still get that on Zoom, you know, but it's it takes more work. It just takes more work than, than if you did it face-to-face. Sarah Pulliam Bailey is a religion reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Shout out to listener Kevin DeVoe, who owns a cafe in Maine. The other day, Kevin ran into one of our reporters, Maria Sacchetti. He told her how much he liked the podcast, and she told us. And that was really nice to hear. So, hello, Kevin. Hope you're staying safe in Bar Harbor. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hopefully, this is the last time you hear this ad, because with Chime Checking Account, features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts. Or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. That's chime.com slash goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details.